Welcome to another episode of Conduct Detrimental. Mike Lawson and our guest this week, Amanda Kristovich of Front Office Sports. We got two Yankees fans here, guys. How how are you hanging? You guys okay? Yan- Yankees doing treating you okay? It's to yeah. a point. <laughs> not okay. It's to a point now where like I'll turn on the game, maybe like three innings in, they're already losing, and I turn it off. That's a problem. That is a problem. So listen, what we're gonna do this week? We talk a little bit of baseball. We're gonna talk a little bit of college sports and. Time permitting, maybe a little bit of NFL. Getting ready, getting close, guys. Okay. So Amanda, usually with us on the NIL Hour. Mike usually hosts the NIL Hour. But this week, we're going back to our original roots. And, you know, we'll dabble in a little bit of both. A little bit of pro sports, a little bit of college sports. So I think the big story, if anybody's paying attention, and I know, Amanda, you've been very on top of this. And amongst a number of the stories that we've been covering on our show, is this kind of Northwestern saga, right? I think last week we covered this. There was one lawsuit, two were maybe coming. Last I checked, at least at the time of this recording, we were five that were announced. I don't think all of the all of them have been filed. And the news of the past 24 hours, Northwestern, a little bit of a commander's playbook. They want a do-over report now. So, Amanda, what is the latest uh, out of Evanston? Yeah, so I believe actually as of today, there have been at least nine lawsuits filed against Northwestern, some of which named plaintiffs, some of which like John Doe situation. But yesterday, Northwestern, as you said, they want to do over with their investigation. They hired former U.S. Attorney General Loretta Lynch to conduct a, you know, a review of what is going on in the athletic department, because apparently the report that they conducted over like a six or seven month period with another law firm that they, by the way, haven't released, wasn't good enough. So (laughs) now they're bringing in the big guns. And I will say that all of the attorneys uh, for the plaintiffs for all these lawsuits are eating this up, right? They're just eating it up. They're going on Twitter, they're going on press conferences, and they're saying, well, Northwestern just proved themselves that the original report wasn't good enough. So they themselves weren't really monitoring what was going on. You know, I'm not crazy because I'm looking this up. I'm like, I could have sworn it was five. In this past week, we have four additional lawsuits that have been filed, including two within the last 24 hours. So you know what? I've been busy. Sometimes you just, uh, you miss the news if there's uh, a lawsuit basically filed every single day in a case. So Mike, I, I wanted your your thoughts on this. I mean, at a certain point, right, like we're getting, uh, and I do want to talk about him a little bit in this episode, we're getting kind of close to Deshaun Watson territory, right? If you have one person that says something like, Maybe they're a rogue actor. Two people, okay. Three, four, five, six, seven. I sound like LeBron James when he signed with the Miami Heat. But like (laughs) at a certain point, like when there's smoke, there's fire. And to Amanda's point, we had, right, a big law firm. Aren't Fox a big law firm conduct this initial investigation? They're the ones at the end of this investigation resulted in a two-week suspension. Why do you need Loretta Lynch if the first investigation was done properly? So, Mike, riddle me this. How? How does Northwestern get themselves out of this hole? It's because the first investigation was not done properly. That's there the whole go. point. We already go. we already knew that because they, on a dime, switched from a two-week suspension because of the first investigation to a termination for cause. So how does that happen from the 24 hours that they posted the two-week suspension afterwards in the public because of the public eye and because of the Northwestern student newspaper that was doing the investigation and interviewing former students where then they were even talking about racial allegations and racism that was occurring within the system. We talked about this on the NIL hour where we were like kind of confused why 
this was coming out now and later and why the whistle was being blown through the student newspaper and not through the investigation, it's because the investigation wasn't done correctly. And that's probably why the investigation has not been released, because it wasn't proper. It wasn't a proper investigation. They probably went through the the individuals who complained and maybe a couple of named students who were also complaining. But then you had all of these you know, players that were on the other side were like, well, I never had an issue with Pat Fitzgerald. He was great. Like I never had any issues. Then racist allegations started coming forward. And, and it almost seemed like it was a, a domino effect where anybody who had any sort of issue with Fitzgerald was just now coming out of the woodworks. But I think this, what this shows for Northwestern is it's, they won't do it, but it's almost an admission of, yeah, we screwed up and we should have done a more thorough investigation, which is why we've terminated him for cause after doing just a, a minutia of a little bit more investigation and now doing a more thorough investigation. If I had a mustache, I would be like twirling it right now. I would do my little uh, evil smile here. The law firm that was tasked, we'll say allegedly, because you know we're not we're not privy to some of this information. But aren't Fox and Schiff one of the largest law firms in the country? Six hundred and eighty lawyers with an additional three hundred support staff. So if you're doing your math, it's about a thousand moving parts to that firm. You have a and they, and they call this in the biz, which uh, Mike and I are familiar with. Amanda will we'll teach you all of our legal lessons. They call that big yeah. law, big law, right? There's just one word. Oh, no. I know all about big law. Shout out to my friends who work in big law. Well, hopefully they don't work at Arn Fox and Chiff because I'm about to say something <laughs> bad about Arn Fox and Chiff. But can I just interject really quickly? First of all, don't worry. It is public information that they were the law firm that that was hired. Second of all, I'm sure you guys caught this, but maybe some other folks didn't. One of the groups of attorneys accused them of being too cozy with the general counsel at Northwestern and basically said in so many words uh, before the Loretta Lynch thing came out that that report was you know not legitimate i reached out to them for comment and they did not respond as so, no that's legitimate so a couple things here and we've talked about this and i and i said pulling at commanders right just so people have some some frame of reference the commanders they hired her i want to say dan snyder hired beth wilkinson that's who he hired to conduct the investigation and then at some point the nfl intervened and you know i remember being on this podcast with dan and and mike i remember doing episodes with you and we're like if the NFL is going to intervene, why didn't they fire the handpicked person? That seems kind of odd. And shocker, that report turned out to be that oral report, that verbal report, the one that wasn't written, and everyone had an issue with it. So then they hire someone, in, you know, quote unquote, independent, but it's hired by the NFL, the NFL picks. And that's Mary Jo White. That's the Mary Jo White report that put the nail in the coffin for Dan Snyder. Shocker that an independent report was, was effective here. So when some of these, and I don't want to say all firms, but some of these big firms, right, they get, they have an in with the, with the client, with Northwestern, they've been with them for years. And the purpose of this report is basically to tell you how horrendous your employees were, how terrible they were, right? Like what was going on underneath your nose? Like, oh, so you have a degree of like, I don't know, maybe a degree of separation you should have. Maybe you should bring in a new firm. Maybe also you shouldn't be wor working with a firm that has a thousand moving parts. Maybe you just need, right, one or two people to ask the right questions. You can't just play the blame game. I don't know about, about you guys, Amanda. I know you write a lot of your articles solo. Mike, I know you work sometimes as a team. Sometimes you work solo. Sometimes there's too many moving parts and you can play the blame game if you have like 30 people working on a project. You need to put a name to that report. And that's why, and, then, and I mean this, right? The Beth Wilkinson report. Like we know who either did that report well or we know who did it bad, right? We know the Mary Jo White report. And now we're, we're going to know the Loretta Lynch report. I think gone are they going to be these days when they just said like, 
This is the Arndt, Fox, and Schiff report. Like, this is just the, the, the report from this law firm in general. I think there needs to be some accountability to it. And I think for better or for worse, Loretta Lynch is going to bring that accountability. Mike, do you think that Northwestern can possibly mess this up a third time here? Is that possible? I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, <laughs> there's so many things that can go wrong here because if Northwestern, right, they are hiring Loretta Lynch. So whenever the report comes down, right, there's going to be aspects of it where they're almost like, well, we don't want you to release this or maybe flesh this out a bit. And what's going to get released? What's going to be public and what's going to be the termination? I mean, what what more could actually come out of this? I mean, this is actually to Amanda's point, like this is kind of ammunition for the plaintiff's attorneys where they're really just kind of digging in on this investigation and hopefully they can get some sort of, you know, gold out of this. But the other aspect is, the NCAA also has to do their investigation or follow up with something if, if there's actual reports of because because they're they're alleging, you know, injuries as it relates to their student athletes, like for player safety and well-being. I mean, that's a violation in and of itself that the NCAA can impose and they can do infractions and things like that. There's also a domino effect here because Jim Phillips is also associated with this. He's the ACC commissioner right now. He's he's been very against this, saying that, you know, he's going to defend it with everything he's got. But. In the long run, like if there's an investigation that determines that he's also involved, then that's that has a domino effect on the ACC and how that operates in a different conference. Sometimes you can blame the lawyers, but if this Arn Fox and Schiff report had been done the right way, well, I think a lot of these jobs would have been preserved here. A lot of it. Um, Amanda, I'll give you the final word here. What What are your thoughts on on this Northwestern chapter? A couple things. First of all, I don't know that the report itself wasn't done correctly so much as since it wasn't it didn't need to be public, the Northwestern officials themselves swept it under the rug. That's something I wonder, right? That is fair. It's a good point. Another point to what the NCAA is going to do about this, we learned this with the Baylor uh, Art Briles situation. The NCAA does not have any rules against sexual assault or the mishandling of sexual misconduct allegations. So just keep that in mind, because most of these allegations are of two different natures, right? One of which is like sexual abuse and one of which is racial abuse. There is no rule in the NCAA's hundreds of pages against that. So just keep that in mind. And then the last thing that I have, which is going to be a question for you guys is Loretta Lynch does now work for another big law firm, right? So, but she's doing this investigation completely on her own, or is she going to be bringing in, what is it, Paul Weiss? It's fair, but at least to the the short answer is I'm not sure we know that. But I think in terms of accountability, this is the Loretta Lynch report. Her name is on the report. Yeah. She's going to be incentivized for it to be legit. Sometimes, and I've done this a handful of times with clients when like they want to do a press release and announce that I'm working for them. And there's sometimes a value to the press release of saying like, this person is working for us. Maybe I'm sure people, if people dig long enough, they can figure out the lawyers that were on the Arndt Fox and Schiff report. No one's talking about that. They're just hiding behind the nature of the firm. There's other examples of this. I'm not going to name other firms. I don't know anybody at Arndt Fox and Schiff. And if we have a listener that's there and they want me to stop talking about the firm, I'll take it under advisement. But I think it's real. Well, I just want to push back on one thing and then we can we can move on unless Mike, you have anything else. The fact that they're commissioning a second report tells me that the first report was wrong. It just does. I, I, I didn't know if the yeah. first report was wrong or if they wanted to, to save Fitzgerald. They wanted to spare his life and, you know, someone else can volunteer his tribute. But like at the end of the day, I, I do think the report had to have been wrong. And especially, you know, reading in the in the comments from from Northwestern, I couldn't. And, you know, I'm sure many of you were following us closely. The AD was basically saying that, you know. He wasn't quite saying, like, I thought more about the report. I think he was also acknowledging that he learned more information over the past, co- the next couple of days. So there is a lane here, certainly, where, like, 
maybe Arn Foxchuk wasn't able to speak to some people, and then those people ended up going public after the report went public. So there's there's a lane here which I'm I'm sure the law firm's going to try to you know throw themselves in to try to say, hey, we spoke to everyone we could, we didn't figure out everything. But still, the problem is, I'm not going to let Northwestern off the hook for this. They knew via that report that a large, I think, the, I think that was like it was largely corroborated by the evidence was the was the basically the assumption. I think that was the and word. There that was were there. eleven athletes, I believe, who corroborated the football. You know, I mean, and it's like that should be enough, it right? Should be, should be enough. Enough for a two week suspension. Enough for at least a two week suspension. That was the issue. A large number of them corroborated it, yet they only gave him a two week suspension. And his Fitzgerald, his defense in the initial aftermath prior prior to his being, you know, terminated was like, I never knew about this going on. Which, like we've talked about on the show, like that's not a defense. That's not a defense. Not knowing you should know. In fact, that you don't know probably independently fireable, but I digress. Let us stick, uh, Amanda. Since we have you, let's stick in the college sports realm. Mike, you want to give us the latest on Iowa? State. I shouldn't be laughing at the story, but it's it's a little humorous. Yeah. So, I mean, we have now entered we, we've talked about the wild, wild west as it relates to NIL. We've talked about the legalization of gambling as it spreads across different states um, and, and it pops up across you know numerous states. And then the context of whether or not you're allowed to gamble on college sports within that state or not. And the, the differences between certain states now. And, and we're also we've also talked about numerous times about professional athletes gambling uh, on their own games, gambling, you know, NFL players gambling on NFL games. We've seen a couple of things pop up now in college sports where, you know, there was a, an issue with uh, with college baseball and gambling on college baseball. Now we've kind of entered this era of gambling stings where we have college gambling stings. And that's what happened in Iowa State. The news today is that there's seven total Iowa State athletes who have been found to have gambled uh, in some you know sh- way, shape, or form. The news that kind of came out a couple days ago was Hunter Deckers, who is the starting quarterback for Iowa State, was also found to have allegedly gambled on on Iowa State games and on the university, you know, on their on their campus and, and things like that. So we've kind of entered this age now where there is going to be more, I'm guessing, investigations that are being done into illegal gambling as it relates to college athletes and college sports all in told. Amanda, I have a hypothetical for you, and it's purely a hypothetical. Okay. Okay. Let's say front office sports had a policy and they did not allow you to gamble on any events because you might have some inside information. You're you're very well sourced in all of the world of college sports, but you were a degenerate. Again, this is a hypothetical. This is not a real thing. And you really <laughs> needed to bet. You needed to bet so badly. Whose name would you create an account under? Just just a hypothetical. Yours. Mine? How are you going to get my socials? Get out of here. <laughs> no, this is a good question because I don't think, and I see where you're going with this, that my mom would be interested in signing up for that. She's not much of a gambler. But uh, I think I would ask like a close friend, you know? Well, here's the reason I ask. Amanda, that was, that was the correct answer to the question because your close friend... <laughs> Unless your close friend is a cousin or brother or sibling, probably going to have a different last name, probably going to have a different address. But these 18, 19-year-old kids, their primary residence, if you look at their driver's license, it's probably got an address that would be similar to a brother, a mother, a sister, a father, you know, someone that lives in the house. So, Mike, the part of the story that you left out, which this is the part I find some humor in, these kids, I think, were smart enough. They didn't pull a Calvin Ridley, at least for the most part, this this so-called gambling sting at Iowa and Iowa State, they're signing up accounts, according to according to the reports out there, FanDuel and drafting accounts under the names of people's brothers, under the names of people's mothers. And shocker, 
Uh, there's going to be a little bit of trail of breadcrumbs here. Amanda, do you think these guys play any college sports again? Or you think that's it? You think this is the death now? I mean, I think this is it because the NCAA, it, and what's so ironic about it is that the NCAA was like just about to, if I'm remembering correctly, loosen their gambling infractions, like because they were recognizing that so many states had legalized gambling because they, they used to have um, like close to a zero tolerance policy on you know, a college athlete gambling on like, you know, professional tennis, right? Like you just can't bet at all. But since it's legal in so many states and a lot of the athletes are of age, they, I believe, were going to start kind of rolling back the punishments based on how close the team you were gambling on could have been to you when it comes to like an inside information situation. So I think the NCAA is going to come down hard. And also, I mean, aren't these criminal charges? Like, are they even going to be <laughs> like, like what is going to happen to these players off the field is my other question. Well, that's that's the question, Mike. And I'll, I'll let you give some color on that, too. I mean, this is this is the tampering allegation. So usually when you have a word tampering, right, maybe records are being deleted. Maybe things are being changed. I know for my like, you know, IRS records, like I had to pull all of my gambling logs. It's legal to gamble in, in New York. I'm not a college athlete. I have no I have no ramifications or anything for doing that. But like, you know, I, I don't I don't know what they were doing, modifying things, tampering records. So there are seven players gambling investigations Iowa and Iowa State have resulted in criminal charges against seven current or former athletes it's certainly notable the other thing that we should say just as a kind of an interesting footnote we talked a little bit last week on the show about the NFL gambling suspensions I'm going to botch this pronunciation but I'm going to try this Ioma Uwazurike was a player drafted by the Denver Broncos in 2022 people might remember that name that is a player that was suspended in this past couple of weeks by the NFL for betting so there is some linkage between the college sports betting scandal and now the NFL betting scandal you know I don't I don't know if there's you know certainly I mean I think this this op the sting operation is kind of odd that it's like just focused on Iowa but Amanda to your point this is very much an NCA issue and we're seeing kind of you know, this growing problem of NFL athletes betting, college athletes betting, it's certainly not exclusive to the NFL and Iowa and Iowa State. Like, it's just a matter right. of when we find out more. Right. And I just want to point out that the reason that this is like sort of contained to Iowa and Iowa State is because the report was initiated by the Iowa Gambling Commission, like the state's gambling commission. So this is not to say that this isn't happening in other places. It's just that obviously Iowa is not going to investigate what's going on in another state, you know, like their gambling commission. And the other thing that's just interesting to me is when this, if you guys remember when the Iowa stuff first came out, there was no there were no details about the nature of like what the athletes did wrong. It was just that they were, there were tons of athletes at those two schools, quote unquote, involved in activity with gambling that they shouldn't have been, that could have been illegal at the time. Right. Like we were wondering, well, it could have, it illegal could just mean that they were gambling underage, but it wasn't like they were like match fixing or gambling on their own teams. Right. I would say that this is actually way worse than I heard or thought it was going to be when I first heard about this. The NCAA, as a regulatory body, needs to adopt some of the regulatory compliance work that state gambling agencies have because they are so quick to catch these scandals. And the NCAA is just not. And I mean, we saw it with with the, the college baseball scandal where there was a, a Cincinnati, somebody was in Cincinnati and Ohio making large bets on LSU and things like that. So 
they, they need to definitely adopt some of their uh, regulatory compliance monitoring. But regardless, everybody and their mother was gambling in Iowa and they did not figure it out until they did some some deep dive. And the reason that they're being charged with tampering is because they were changing the names of the accounts when they were going through their investigation. So they're changing the names of either whether they were, it was initially themselves switching it to their brother, switching it to their mother, switching it to their friend. That's the tampering piece of it. So while I they're doing, you can try to do that. I don't, I don't think that that's effective. I mean, unless you, you really put in change of request forms, but I guess it is what it is. Let me, let me ask you this and then we'll, we'll move over to Scherzer. This is, this is for both of you. And again, I pose this as a hypothetical and Amanda, the reason I, I, Obviously, this is, a, I don't want to say obviously, but ch- chances are this is occurring at other schools. It's just a matter of when people find this out, not if. But you you said kind of the, the big term here. And I think what we, we at least try to do on conduct is kind of issue spot for other people, right? Iowa investigated, right? The An, an entity within the state of Iowa was investigating Iowa and Iowa State in a way that's going to harm both of those programs. So in an analogous conversation that we've had on NIL, we're like, well, the attorney generals in these various states aren't going to punish athletes for violating NIL. It's just never going to happen. It doesn't seem that different, right? We're punishing athletes for sports-specific things, and it's harming those respective programs. So I pose it as a hypothetical, but again, I, I tend to think this is a matter now, having kind of seen this, similar of a matter of when, not if, where one of these attorney generals is going to get overzealous. They're not going to be a sports fan. They're going to see that there's an NIL law in their books, whether whether there's an unlicensed agent in the state or an an athlete getting an an overmarket value deal that doesn't make sense. There are violations of these state NIL laws, which no one's doing anything. Amanda, am I I like crazy to think that that's a possibility? I don't think you're crazy to think that that's a possibility. I just wonder about the power that the schools, right, hypothetically have in said state, the schools are pressuring lawmakers and they're pressuring, you know, they're pressuring elected officials to not punish them for NIL, to broaden, you know, while while the conference commissioners are getting up on stage and saying, we want, you know, uniform NIL law, a uniform NIL law, the athletic directors are applauding their state legislatures for, you know, creating a law like a state law that is different than what the NCA and the conferences want right so like but I don't know if when it comes to gambling the highest paid coach in the state or the athletic directors would be lobbying like to keep it quiet you see what I'm saying like I just feel like it it's it's particularly for those who have been you know, who, who are, who have like previous generations when like illegal sports gambling rings, you know, were like the big controversy. Like, I just wonder if like, they are so against it that they're like, you know what, punish our, punish our players. Like they did something wrong. Whereas like NIL, they don't think that way, you know? I don't know. If you told me you're like, you know, Iowa's got a lot of cloud in the state. Like they're definitely not going to go after Iowa. And it's like, you know, these are, I guess the difference being that these are criminal violations, right? We're not really hearing right. that, that. That's fair. But listen, NIL, the tides, the tides, uh, you know, I thought they were going to push us towards a federal bill. Don't worry, we're not talking about the federal bills. Man, I had a good laugh at your tweet, like, which I, I got some humor in. I am sensing that NIL is kind of hitting a, a wall of some sort. And who knows, maybe someone's going to come, you know, getting towards a, this is not a political podcast, but maybe someone's going to run on a crazy platform, right? Laws are not meant to be broken. So listen, I hear, I hear, I hear some things and I like to pose some questions here. Let's end on the baseball diamond. So we just finished what was a very busy trade deadline in, in Major League Baseball. Amanda, Mike, I know you guys are both 
massive baseball fans. I went to a Mets game on Sunday. I saw Justin Verlander's 250th win, his last game in a Mets uniform. But I'm actually going to be talking about the other Mets pitcher that was traded. So Max Scherzer, we've talked about in the show about like, you know, improper wiretaps and uh, defamation and saying the wrong thing. So maybe you guys missed this, but Max Scherzer was interviewed by Ken Rosenthal of The Athletic. And he was, you know, just kind of saying, how did the trade go down? I'm going to read a couple quotes here. I think this is interesting. So Max Scherzer, according to him, according to his interview with The Athletic's Ken Rosenthal, Scherzer says, I talked to Billy. He means Billy Epler, the general manager. I was like, okay, are we reloading for 2024? He goes, no, we're not. Basically, our vision now is for 2025, 2026, 2025 at the earliest, more like 26. We're going to be making trades around that. So from that quote that Max Scherzer publicized, we talk about defamation a lot, that is now a public comment. Max Scherzer has said that he heard from the Mets GM that they're going to be tanking, not just this year, which I think everyone's aware of. They traded their two best pitchers. They're tanking for next year, but more like 2026, they might be tanking for the next two years. Amanda, Mike, maybe I missed it. Have the Mets come out and corrected the statement of the Mets said we're suing Max Scherzer for defamation? That's not true. Have you guys heard anything like that? I mean, I haven't. And, you know, I'm paying way more attention to the Yankees and their lack of movement. Let me just put put that out there. But, you know, and this is a question that, you know, I've been thinking about is like, okay, well, in baseball, tanking isn't really illegal. We just spoke about, right, technically. But what the Mets are doing just didn't make any sense to me. I don't know. Maybe I'll let I'll give Mike the floor. But I, I was just like, to me, uh, and I'm not spending a ton of time looking at the Mets roster, but it didn't make sense to me that they're just like unloading for two or three years from now when they've already been trying to build up, right? Like, it's not like they were this amazing powerhouse team for many years. Like they, (laughs) they, you know, they brought in Steve Steve Cohen came in and he was like, all right, we're going to make this team great. And like, now they're acting as if like, they're just starting over. Like it doesn't make any sense. Mike, do you have the rest of the quote? I think it's helpful there. Scherzer was also stunned as much as everyone else is stunned. Scherzer was very stunned where he was very confused when he heard this because Cohen was so outright saying that he was going to buy, improve the team, blah, blah, blah. It's such a short fuse. Like somewhere in the middle is what the Yankees need. They, They have too long of a leash and Cohen's got too short of a leash now. Somewhere in the middle is where we need. But so Scherzer, after this quote, said, you know, basically he was confused. He was like, so he goes, I was like, so the team is not going to be pursuing free agents this offseason or assemble a team that can compete for a World Series next year. He said, no. We're not going to be signing the upper echelon guys. We're going to be on the smaller deals within free agency. 2024 is now looking to be more of a kind of transitory year. So Epler is basically telling him that 2024 is a wash. See, this is the part. And, you know, we I think we as lawyers, right? And Amanda, you're an honorary lawyer. You're an honorary JD for the show. Oh, like, my goodness. You know, so you have it. You've, you're a reoccurring guest. So you're, you're all good. But here's the thing, right? Like, in law, we say it in a lot of different ways in defamation cases and, you know, kind of false light cases. The truth is an absolute defense. So the Mets are not coming out here and saying it right. When when someone is fired from their work, sometimes they sign releases or NDAs, non-disclosure agreements. Maybe in baseball, when you get traded, they should make you sign something on the way out because Max Scherzer is kind of torching the Mets on the way out. You guys know the story as Mets fans and I, and I or as Yankees fans. I think this is the reason Scherzer was asking. A couple years ago, right? And and Mike and Andy, I'm sure you can speak to this sentiment as Yankees fans, but Roldis Chapman was on the Yankees, gets traded to the, to the Cubs. And then as a free agent, 
you know, after the Yankees get all their prospects, they get, you know, the giant haul from the Cubs. He goes back and signs with the Yankees. So do I have that right, guys? Is that, is that what happened? That sounds like kind of an amazing deal for the Yankees. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, um, I, I was saying that from, of course, you've got like this truth is an absolute defense to what you're saying. Like, we don't know exactly what happened. It's behind closed doors where they end up trading Chapman, who was a, a at the time, it was in July. It was like at the deadline almost. Right. So halfway through the year, the Yankees were not having a good year in 2016. They trade Chapman to the Cubs. I, I have to imagine that, Ch- that Cashman sits down Chapman and says, hey, we're going to trade you to the Cubs. You're going to go win a World Series. Next year in your free agency, we're just going to sign you back because we don't want to waste you for the rest of the season. But I think that's what the Max Scherzer was basically getting to. Like, hey, if you're going to trade me now, right, you, can you guys just like, you know, maybe like trade back for me? Can you kind of retool? Like, Well, it was also strategic here where the Yankees also got four big players, two of which are on their starting roster right now, Glaber Torres and Billy McKinney. So well, how about the Mets? Right? The Mets got a giant haul here, too. I mean, I think... Oh, yeah. The Mets got a sweet deal out between giving Scherzer and Verlander up. They 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 got a big deal out of it. So, Scherzer has... Scherzer's getting paid $43 million this year, and next year he has a $43 million player option. So, my, my vantage point, listen, again, looking for issues all the time on this stuff. I think Max was curious. Why would Max Scherzer care what they're doing in 2024, 2025? Maybe he wants a path to return to the team. Maybe he likes New York. Maybe he wants to put his roots down and come back here, right, in the following year with a trade, signing back in free agency, right? I imagine he's going to opt into that $43 million player option. But very odd that Scherzer kind of torches the Mets on the way out. I don't know what other way to put it. There's no defamation case here. There's no case here. It's kind of the assumption of the risk when you tell a player something confidential and then you let him leave your clubhouse. So I guess I'm surprised we don't hear more of this. You know, I guess good good well, on Max. players are asking? I guess you got to be asking the right questions. Amanda, they got to put you at those podiums. You'll ask the questions. Okay, we're, we're uh, running short on time here. Let's close with this. What to watch for? We talk about topics in the sports industry that we are watching as we move ahead. Amanda, we're going to start with you. Um, anything that we haven't touched upon that is coming up big in the sports world? Yes, we have to keep our eye on the EA Sports lawsuit with the brand, our group, which is that group licensing company that's suing them over jurisdiction for negotiating NIL deals for the college football game. They filed their response, or EA filed their response, which of course was a motion to dismiss. So we're keeping an eye on that. Either way, theoretically, EA says it's not going to impact when the game comes out in 2024. But I'm curious to see if they settle out of court because the Brandar Group doesn't look very good right now. The Brandar Group looked bad after they lost the temporary restraining order. So I, I think it's interesting. Amanda's turning into the next Ross Dellinger here where she's getting, she's like hovering over the uh, the court docket. She's getting those immediate motions to dismiss put up. My amazing colleague, AJ Perez, who I'm sure you all know super well, turned me on to this company called Court Listener. I am a big fan. That is how I got the notification at like 9.30 p.m. last night about the motion to dismiss. Shout out Court Listener. Shout out AJ Perez. Shout out AJ, shout out Amanda. Both of you are in a short list of uh, push notifications, I guess. So I see all your all your little tweets, even the ones that you don't think anybody looks at. But I see all of them. I see all of them, Amanda. Now well, I'm expecting you to like all of them. Well, you shouldn't have seen that. Nope, nope. I just see them. I see them. I got a lot of things going on, but I, I do see all. I, see, I see, do see the tweets. Mike, I'm going to give you your next what to watch for, and then uh, we'll, we'll close up shop. Not really legal per se. It's what not to watch for, and it's the Yankees. The, Amanda's already mentioned there, there's been no moves by the Yankees. I'm not surprised. This is many, many 
trade deadlines in a row that we've have not gotten anybody acquired anybody when this year is probably the worst. I mean, the Yankees fans have probably been the most frustrated they since I don't know, maybe <laughs> ever. And it's a it's an interesting dynamic now where like I know myself and then a lot of my you know friends who are big Yankees fans, you know, they turn on the game, they see they're losing and you're like, no, there's no hope. So I'm just going to turn it off and I'm not going to care because they're already down three runs. So it's an interesting move as we get closer to the uh, the playoffs. But Aaron Judge is back now. That might make a difference. Probably not. He doesn't, Cortez, yet. He doesn't yet. He's walked like eight times in the, last, in the first three games back. So, you know, Luizaga is supposed to come back. Nessa Cortez has come back. Herman's down for the season now. So it's it's going to be a, a rocky road to, to fight for a wild card. My suggestion for fellow Yankee fans is to the next time you go to a game, just do the $25. You get a free Bud Light and you do the standing room because no one wants to actually watch what's going on. You, you don't. And you need alcohol if you're going to be there. So please, that that's that's where I'll be for any Yankee games I go the, to the rest of the season. That is fair. Or you just don't have to go to Yankee games. You can uh, strike the team as uh, the Oakland A's are doing. Okay, let's let's wrap here. My, my what to watch for. Listen, I, I don't really like to watch Deshaun Watson, but I think what's important to point out, last six games of the NFL season, that's when Deshaun Watson played. That was post-suspension. Deshaun Watson played six games, and statistically, he was one, if not the worst quarterbacks in the entire NFL. So he had zero touchdowns, one pick, one and one, one touchdown, zero picks, zero touchdown, one pick. And then he had these two games at the end of the year that kind of threw off his stats, three touchdowns, no picks, and then a, a two and two performance at, at Pittsburgh in a game that really didn't matter. Browns missed the playoffs. Deshaun Watson is one of the most uh, $230 million guaranteed contract. He's making a ton of money. Cleveland has a lot of playoff expectations. Deshaun Watson, really low key. No one's talking about it. Has two active sexual assault cases still against him that no one talks about. He's playing. He has passed suspension. Maybe at this show, we'll talk about Alvin Kamara next week, or maybe we'll talk about Josh Sills, Eagles offensive lineman that's been on the commission's exempt list indefinitely. Deshaun Watson is playing and not playing well. So I'm curious to see if he can kind of rebound, um, you know, I can root for Deshaun Watson as a football player, but right now, right, innocent until proven guilty, he's still in court, and we don't really know what he has or hasn't done. We just know that he signed a bunch of NDAs with 23 of his 26 accusers. You know, the other three, we don't really know what happened, and we don't even know what happened with the 23. So it is what it is, but I'm watching Deshaun Watson. I am staying away from Deshaun Watson in all fantasy drafts. My little my little lost advice. So I think that'll do it for what to watch for. Mike, you want to do some business, and we'll get out of here? That's right. Business, as always, this podcast is sponsored by Themis. Make sure you head over to themisbarreview.com. I don't think we have a new code yet. We we're, we should be getting a new code if you uh, are looking to buy uh, the Themis re- Bar Review. People just took the bar, so hopefully you're decompressing after. Uh, but we know if you did Themis, you got yourself across the finish line very strong. So definitely go check out Themis Bar Review. And thanks, as always, for them for sponsoring our podcast. And here is a message from our platform, Spotify. So yeah, that'll that'll do it here. Quick shout out. Um, you know, I appreciate all the love from the recent episode we did on the sports professional career development series, mouthful, but it's sports advice for people trying to break into the space. I'll shout out uh Sean Davis, who I spoke to recently, one of the listeners of our show. He's a lawyer based in Kentucky. He likes them. We're gonna be doing more of them. And uh to the extent you guys have questions, you know, we're answering a lot of questions from the crowd. Our email, if you want to reach out to us, you want to write for the blog, you want us to answer some of your listener questions on the show, we do not have to mention your name. Con detrimental at gmail.com. If you want to check out Amanda, you can find her at Front Office Sports. Amanda's one of the best, Front Office Sports. 
is the best. Can we say that they they are the best? We love AJ. We love everybody at Front Office Sports. So, Amanda, excellent job. Thanks for joining us. Mike, great as always. And, uh, yeah, that'll do it for us over here at Conduct Detrimental. Big shout-out to all of our team at Conduct, Dan Wallach, myself, and all of us here. We will see you next time on another episode of Conduct Detrimental.